Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. As we step into this uh, reflection from Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, I, we're going to go a couple of different places. But, but one in particular... Uh, this is where I want us to start. So normally this is the moment in the service where we ask you to have a chat with the neighbor. We're going to try that again this morning, but as a way of awkward introduction. My kids recently discovered the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone? <laughs> yes? We, we went and watched like old trailers, some of the movies from the 90s, and it's terrible, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we've been singing the song, Heroes in a Half Shell and, and all that. But they, they, they discovered the word cowabunga. You, you guys remember that? Yeah. And, and I thought, uh, I know it's a little obscure and it may be a reach, but just take like 30 seconds, chat with a neighbor. If you don't know them, uh, you can say hello, help someone to feel welcome, and then your favorite nonsense word, all right? And if that's too obscure, you're like, I don't know. I only know one nonsense word and you just said it. Um, you can talk about the masters. And if you don't know what that is either, then just say hello. So take 30 seconds, favorite nonsense word, go for it. Thanks, thanks for participating. Uh, Hopefully, you, some of you rediscovered childhood or, uh, you know, things you hadn't thought about in a long time. You guys, maybe you're familiar uh, with, uh, you're obviously, probably, it's a high likelihood, you're familiar with Roald, Roald Dahl's 
works of fiction. Like maybe you experienced them as a child, maybe as a parent of children. Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Big Friendly Giant. Uh, you guys, you know these stories, right? I think James and the Giant Peach is him as well. Um, Matilda, there's a, uh, there's a new musical out you can watch. Uh, it's great fun, but one of the things he's known for was his play with the language uh, and his just flair for nonsense words, right? Like, uh, it's, the story is that he would sit with, like, the yellow legal pads and would just play with language, would, uh, would, would do something, which I didn't even know this was a word, and I thought it was a nonsense word when I read it. Spoonerisms? Anyone? Yeah. I thought the same thing. I had to Google it. And when you, like, invert the beginning of, of two words and, and you flip them, right, you take the beginning of one word and put, you know, you, you swap it. There was an example, which I realize now would have been good to have. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't, I do have some examples of some of his like uh, other words. He would just play with letters and move them around and he'd give us words like some of them you know, like do you guys remember Scrum Diddlyumptious? Yeah, you remember what story that one was from? Maybe more than one, but Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Others were like Lick Swishy, Lick, lick Swishy. Any, any guesses what that might mean? Something that tastes delicious, right? Uh, gloriously delicious. Uh, in fact, the, Ox, uh, the Oxford uh, Dictionary created an Oxford Raw Doll Dictionary uh, illustrated by Quentin Blake, who's sort of famously associated with his work of Raw Doll not nonsense words, right? Things like fizz whizzing uh, uh, or wonder crump, which I think is an odd way to say that something is wonderful because it sounds kind of negative to me, but um, snozberry, snozwanger, a deadly three-footed creature, uh, Gobble funk, which, which is, in fact, to play with words and invent new ones, right? I, I, I think, I wonder, I wonder if for the folks uh, in Matthew chapter 28 that we read, that Emily read for us, I, I wonder for those first folks who experienced this moment, who saw Jesus in the glory of his resurrection, if it isn't a bit like sort of us trying to make sense of nonsense words, Right? They, they didn't have the words for it. I mean, I mean they did. What, what they could do, they wrote down. But if they had words, like, did they even kind of mean anything? Right? Like scrum diddly umptious. Right? It, it, it must have felt like it conveys a feeling, um, an experience, like there's something here. But what does it mean? Right? What, what does it mean? It feels like nonsense words. Resurrection to us and to them feels like a nonsense word. Let me see if I can illustrate what I mean uh, from, from the story, the text as we've read it. This is what the angel tells the women, the first sort of to encounter in verse 5. He says to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. All right? Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So to borrow language from last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, setting into motion the events of Good Friday and Easter in a, in a sort of catalytic way. Um, and we, we raised the question then that, you know, everyone in that story had their reasons for showing up. And so do you and so do I. Uh, and, and here in this moment, to borrow that same image, the same thing is true. They had their reasons for showing up and they were to see Jesus who was crucified. They had words for that. Right? They, had, they had language for that. 
They showed up ready to do the things they knew, burial rites and preparation and spices to preserve the body. Uh, They had words for that. They were painful words. They were grief-filled words. But they are words that we know. They were not nonsense words. They had words for that. Jesus, who was crucified. That's what they expected to see. It's why they were there. But, But not just those folks. As Emily read for us, Matthew takes a turn. We have this interaction between uh, the angel and then Jesus and and, and these women at the tomb. And then Matthew gives us kind of an aside. Well, this is also going on at the moment and pulls other folks into the story. And we read about the Roman soldiers sort of stationed there as representatives of the Roman Empire, the the sort of arm of, of the execution that had taken place on Good Friday. And then the religious leaders or some motivation uh, behind all of this, they're there also to see Jesus who was crucified. They had, they had words for that. The empty tomb is a problem for them. They don't have words for that. It's a nonsense word. They had words like upstart, you know, people with upstart sort of Messiah complexes. They roll into town. They stir things up. We have a tool and a word for that. It's crucifixion. We'll get rid of this guy just like we've gotten rid of all the rest, all the ones before him. We'll put him in his place, which is in a tomb, Jesus who was crucified. They had words for that. But then, as Emily took us to the end of the story in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, now the resurrected Jesus, uh, with his disciples. And it's interesting to me that in this moment, Matthew, one of them, says that in this moment they worshipped, but some, and, and doubted. They worshipped and doubted together. Both, both of them there, that in that group, there, there were both. Uh, which says to me, they didn't have words for it either. The resurrection was a sort of nonsense word for them. They, they knew they had words for Jesus who was crucified. They expected dead and buried, but now they're confronted with risen and glorious, and, 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 and the only reaction is sort of speechless worship or just confused doubt. I, I don't have words for this. I wonder about you this morning and and me. I kind of think the same is true for us. I I think if we seek him at all, I I suppose or suggest that we have words for Jesus who was crucified. Like we can make sense of that. History is okay with that. Like we, we, we can make sense of that. Maybe for all the same reasons as the folks we've met in this story. He was a good teacher. He was a religious leader. He got caught up in these sort of unfortunate political and religious, uh, you know, tensions of his day. We got, we got words for that. A good man, a good teacher, a good message. Love your neighbor. Be kind. Treat people, even your enemies, kindly. All these kinds of things. Yes, yes. Taken before his time. We got, we got words for that. I think sometimes we think Good Friday and the cross are the unspeakable bits of the story, but... We read Matthew 28, and I don't know. Those words make sense to me. Resurrection feels like nonsense. In fact, I I think, sadly, we all too well have words for the life of violence and brokenness and shame and sin that seems to fill our lives and the world uh, around us. Those are familiar words, words we know. You seek Jesus who was crucified. Interestingly, and not surprisingly, it is Easter Sunday, right? 
that, that uh, the, the angel continues this message. This is why you showed up. I know this is why you came, to see uh, Jesus who was crucified. But, but, but the angel continues, but he is not here. He has risen, as he said. And you got to wonder, the first time hearing it, right, like, it, it, does it just sound like scrum diddly gob, gobbledygunk? What was the word? I don't know. I, I got it wrong. But one of those words, they're just like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, like that kind of experience. It's as if the angel says to them, let me, let, let me redirect your searching. You're, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is also Jesus who has risen. You seek Jesus crucified, but you'll find him, Jesus, risen. And in fact, as he's done all along, you'll find him, Jesus, who has risen and who is seeking you, who, who will go ahead of you to Galilee. He'll be waiting there to meet you. Tell his brothers, his disciples, he's already, he's already ahead of them, ready to meet them, seeking them. You you have words. You came looking for Jesus crucified. But you will find him, Jesus, who has risen, and he is seeking you. Again, we don't have the words. The women in the story, they didn't know what to do with the information, right? They're like, okay, they go along the way. Jesus meets them. They throw themselves on the ground and clutch his feet. It's this kind of like, wordless expression of we don't know what to do with this it's worship sure but like okay like in their desperation they're just they don't have the words for it religious leaders roman officials they didn't have the words for it either so they had to cover it up or deny it or reject it this doesn't fit within sort of our scheme of how things work this is not how the story goes this is not the jesus nor the messiahs previously that we have known they don't they don't have the words for it so they deny it and as we've seen already, the disciples, they didn't know what to do. Some of them worshiped, okay, sort of this like wordless, like, I don't know, this is something incredible. And some of them doubted. I don't know, this is really weird, right? Like, they, they, they knew, they had words for Jesus who was crucified. But Jesus who has risen? I, I, I'm just always intrigued when I read the story that doubt is listed here, that Matthew you think you'd want to cover that bit of the story up, right? <laughs> but like that even these disciples were doubting. Um, uh, an author that I've at times enjoyed, writes a bit of fiction, writes about faith a little bit, his name is uh, Beekner. He, he says this about doubt, that whether your faith is that there is a God or that there isn't, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep because doubts, he says, are the ants in the pants of faith, right? <laughs> right? They keep it awake and moving. Just says to me that we don't have the words for this. Jesus who was crucified, sure. But Jesus who was risen? I don't know. Feels like nonsense. I, I, I think, in fact, I think, in fact, because, like, man, he's already coming to the guitar. He is wrapping this thing up. For those of you that have been around, you know. It's Easter. You guys got big lunches and yeah. <laughs> this is the stick it to all the people that want to give me a hard time about talking too long. This is all a ploy, really. 
I, I think, you know, we, we sort of like to stay in the front. I mean, I know it's unpleasant, the crucifixion and, and all that, but it's, it's sort of what we're comfortable with. It's the kind of packaged religion we can sort of like fit into our lives. We have the words for it. You know, we, we show up because we think it makes us, you know, better people or more moral or upright citizens or it helps our kids to become good people. And those are all the kinds of reasons we show up. We have words for those things. But resurrection feels nonsensical. And yet, and yet, that, that is why we're here. Uh, another author has helped me here. Her name is Fleming Rutledge, and, 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 and she writes a lot about faith. And, and, and uh, she, she says of this, talking about this feeling that the crucifixion of Jesus is almost, it's familiar. It's what we know culturally. But the reason we're talking about it at all is the, the nonsense of the resurrection. That without, that without this bit of the story, Jesus would have been erased from history like everyone Rome had crucified before him. Nothing, like shamefully sort of smudged out of the storybooks of history. Nothing memorable there. Those are old and familiar words. But he has risen. Resurrection? It doesn't register. We don't have words for it either. Maybe it's speechless worship. You guys are like, I'm sensing the irony. You're, you're talking for 20 minutes about something you said we don't have words for. I know. Maybe it's speechless worship. Maybe it's denial. Maybe doubt like we read in the story. We feel all of these responses. We know them. They resonate with us because it's also surprising. Because we came seeking Jesus who was crucified. That makes sense to us. But in Jesus who has risen and who is seeking me I think it's this moment in the story where the invitation of Easter sort of hits us it's Jesus saying to you and me will you trust me will you trust me will you follow me will you trust me I know you don't have words for this and I know your reactions to this will run the gamut. Rejection, doubt, denial, worship. I know all of those things, Jesus says, but will you trust me? Will you receive me as the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth? Will you trust me? And, and then he does something interesting at the end of the story to these disciples who were some worshiping and doubting. Jesus doesn't seem to discriminate in this moment. He sends them out into the world. Will you go? Take this good news that is, you don't have the words for, right? I don't even know how we're going to talk about it. Take it out there and share it with the people around you to all people's nations, he says, bringing them into this story, into the story of trusting me. And then he finishes with this beautiful promise I am with you always, even to the end. Suddenly, suddenly, I feel like we're all the way back in Genesis. As a church, we've been reading through Genesis uh, for a few weeks, and, and we're going to continue after Easter. But there's that moment in the story when everything falls apart in the garden, right? They're reaching for fruit. They're, it's this moment where, like, we, we think we know uh, the 
best definitions of goodness and we can find them apart uh, from any sort of relationship with you, God. And in that moment, things just begin to unravel. Things begin to fall apart. And then we read stories like Cain and Abel and it just cascades from there creation undone, separation from God who was good, all of these things broken. And yet now in this moment, Jesus, who was crucified, but who is risen, looks at, at them and through them you and says, I am with you always. And repairs what has been fractured from so early in the story. Easter, the beginning of the unraveling of death and sin. Right, the, the language that had been used in the garden, God speaking to the serpent saying, ah, things have unraveled and, and you're placing this and, and says to him, yes, you, you, you will bruise his heel. You will know Jesus who was crucified, but he will crush your head. Jesus who has risen. G.K. Chesterton, another sort of, he writes humorously about all these detective stories that are quite fun and writes about faith. This is how he described it. On the third day, the friends of Jesus coming at daybreak to, play, to the place, and they found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. And in varying ways, they realized this new wonder. But they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. You might say they didn't have the words for it. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And in it, he said, there was a semblance of the gardener God who walked again in the garden. In the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. We don't have words for it. For what God started and, and worked in Jesus in the resurrection, breathing life into all that had been dead and broken. Uh, New Testament writers will call them the first fruits. This is like just, this is just the beginning. Still our, our vocabulary, our experience of life and the world is more comfortable with Jesus who was crucified. We know all of those things and we reach desperately for something like he has risen, but we can't find the words. I'm taken back to Palm Sunday and the question that was on the lips of the crowd there that I think is sort of in front of you and me. Who is this man? Who is this man? The empty tomb, the angel would say to you, he is Jesus who was crucified. Whom you came seeking, but he has risen and he is seeking you. Resurrection, I don't know. It feels like a nonsense word, right? You don't talk about it every day. Does it come up at the water cooler at work? Probably not. You're not like Zoom meeting with folks. Like, oh, have you guys thought about the resurrection today in your Zoom chat? You know, someone's trying to give you information and you're having to side chat in the little message bar over here. But let's, let's chat about resurrection, right? No, it's a nonsense word. It doesn't really register with us. It feels like a nonsensical but on the other hand, in the helplessness of our sinfulness, our brokenness, I think we know the inadequacy of any word we could bring to the table. We know that our words, and more than our words, fall woefully short. We feel acutely our need for a, a word, a new word from outside of ourselves. 
a word from somewhere and someone else, a word of life and grace and forgiveness. We, like Paul, are, are all too familiar with words like, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Those words are familiar. We know the ache for a word like resurrection. I would submit to you that we as a church, whatever your connection to us, we are a community of people, ironically, given the fact that I'm just talking lots. We are a community of people who have run out of words who have confessed our need, our sins, the sins and the needs of the world, and who have admitted in this moment that we trust and receive a word that comes from outside of us, God's answering word to our brokenness, resurrection. Jesus who has risen. There's one other author who, there are loads, uh, another one I'm going to point out who has some fun with language, plays with words a little bit. C.S. Lewis, whom you no doubt probably know, and uh, in his sort of creation of Narnia, this sort of fun uh, world, has a bit of fun with language as well. And you know the scene in the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The setting is sort of a world that is weary and winter. It's always winter and never Christmas, right? It's, it's cold, it's broken, uh, there's, there's, that's it's, it's a drag. And uh, as Lewis tells the story, they're talking about Father Christmas, and, and Lewis tells the story that when he shows up, it's, it's kind of like he begins to break the back of winter. It's not a full, there's a hint of spring sort of coming in this moment. And we know Aslan, the central character here, will put things right, but, but there's this hint of, of, of moving towards spring. And this is what he says of that kind of moment. The streams in the wood, he says, would run with wine instead of water. And the whole forest would give itself up to jollification for weeks on end. Jollification. If you take nothing else from what's been said, sung, spoken, read this morning, I think it's an appropriate word for what God invites you and I into when we trust him. Jollification as God begins to unravel and thaw the effects of sin and death and brokenness in your life and mine. It's a good word for what happens when we come to Easter Sunday, looking for Jesus who was crucified, finding Jesus who has risen, and then learning that he has been seeking us. We guys stand with him. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.